Hi and welcome to the Making Ideas Work podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Ayres. This podcast series is an experiment that's going to cover a number of topics around problem finding, generating ideas and making products that really work. Before we get on with the show, I'd like to say a massive thanks to my good friend Will Smith and his crew at Higher Frequencies for getting me out of a hole and lending me some microphones and audio equipment for this very first pod. Uh, Higher Frequencies are an awesome PA hire company operating in the London area. They cover anything from house parties and weddings, corporate events, all the way to full-on outdoor music festivals. You can find out more at higherfrequencies.co.uk. On today's show, I'm joined by two good friends, Nick Himovich and Anthony Adeloye, who I brought together to help me with the very first podcast where we talk about the problems with problems. This first show covers the first half of our discussion about Anthony and Nick's previous entrepreneurial adventures and problem finding. The second half is now uploaded and available and goes on to talk about products that we love and the problems that they are solving. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> we've, been, we've been recording for half an hour. Cool, so we're going. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so um, let's get started. Uh, you guys, uh, thank you for joining on this um, very first of our podcast. Hopefully, we'll make this a regular thing. Um, but why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Um, it'd be really good to hear your story, and what one of you first. Shall I start? Um, yeah, Anthony Adloy, um, 25 years old, um, kind of specialise in marketing. Um, namely social media with Facebook Um, but yeah I've had a quite a a crazy experience to get to where I am today so um, I don't know if you guys even know this so I had had my own startup before this Um, it was called Gradlancer it's essentially um, an online platform that connected university students with freelance jobs related to their degree Um, so I started that when I was 20 um, with a couple of friends from university and um, I, it, was that, it was that really stereotypical, oh, I'm really excited, I've got a business, here's my business plan, we're gonna make so much money, and I was com- doing it for the complete wrong reasons. And um, I had a very steep learning curve um, to kind of really entering into the whole world of entrepreneurship and dealing with investors and stakeholders and stuff like that, so I had to grow up pretty quick. Um, so from there, I kind of taught myself everything um, about like marketing and how to actually run a business, because I knew nothing at the time so did that um, and then got involved with some marketing consultancy as well Um, and yeah and I and I do some of that at the moment so um, lots going on but uh, yeah thanks for having me I'm excited to be here Mm -hmm. perfect Nick how about yourself well first I just want to say I'm honoured to be on the (laughs) first podcast here this is fantastic Um, my name is Nick Kimovich I had a bit of a funny start because I studied music at university and afterwards, um, like the, the big financial crisis hit and I didn't know what to do. So um, I thought, what should I do? So I ended up um, going to Colombia and uh, teaching business English, which was actually a really, really interesting thing to do because I was starting to learn about management and managing businesses uh, from people that were, were doing it in Colombia. While I was teaching them English, they were teaching me about business. So that was a great start. Did that for two years learned loads of stories um, and loads of, you know, just learned loads that was absolutely fantastic. Then went to um, Australia of all places and I got a job selling SEO and websites. I did that for six months. I went door to door speaking to business owners. Yeah, that's talk about <laughs> entrepreneurship, like, yeah, going door to door, like just selling websites and SEO. It was hard, but it was super interesting because doing stuff like getting your phone out 
look typing in um, mechanic, um, you know, um, Bondi Beach, and then seeing if they're there. And if they're not, going in and saying, look, I can help you out, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really, really good. Loads of really interesting stories came out of that. A lot of resilience, because being told to, like, well, actually, they weren't as, they weren't as bad as you would think they were. Mm-hmm. There was only about a handful of times in about six months that people were really a bit aggressive. Yeah. Uh, well, n- well, not even that aggressive, just like saying, get out of here. Normally, people are interested to hear what you've got to say. So loads of great stories from that. Then went, came back to the UK, did a master's in management and innovation, learned loads of great stuff because... They've, like, they never really taught innovation at uni. Mm-hmm. Like, it's only been recently they've been teaching it. So learned loads from that. And then um, worked at a tech company called EMC for a couple of years. Um, also did a lot of um, uh, courses while I was there about like personal development and NLP, um, stuff like that. Uh, met a lot of great people. That's when I started my own thing. It was a personal development networking company. Did that for a bit, learned a lot, lot from that. Um, then uh, joined a digital consultancy and now I'm working with uh, everybody from CEOs to frontline staff helping them use technology um, to be more effective in what they do. Awesome. Those are amazing stories. I think kind of non-conventional perhaps paths through the business world, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of interesting with Ants, I think your story about you know, trying to identify a problem perhaps that you were experiencing in that kind yeah. of the world of Completely. university. And like, tell me some about those, about some of those barriers and some of those hurdles that maybe yeah. you had so, um, so yeah, it was, it was crazy how the whole thing kind of came about. Cause I, I worked for an events company when I was at university um, and I got to meet loads of people. I was always really sociable. And one of the investors of one of the nightclubs that I worked with, um, I just got, got on really well with so kind of connected and, and always saw saw each other like passing by in, in, in Portsmouth where I went to university and then a friend came to me with an idea about you know I want to start this business so I'm really struggling to get work experience and other people struggling as well I wasn't even thinking about work experience at the time I was like all in on my master's um, so I did urban design for my master's degree so <laughs> nothing to do with what I do now um, and then he kind of put this proposal in front of me and was like, hey, like, I've got this idea. It'd be really cool if we could kind of talk about it. I know you know a few people. You know, how could we potentially take this forward? Um, and then I got really interested. And I was like, oh, you know, saw the dollar signs. And as the, the young kid, like, yeah, I want to be a business owner. I always knew I wanted to do something like that. Um, so when it came about, we kind of were, I was reading through the business plan and then signed up. I was like, I'm in. Let's do this. And we, we, didn't, we probably did the worst thing that you should do before you start a business and just had no market research. It was just based on our own assumption, three kids from university who were like, everybody needs this, this is like the perfect product. So we went out there, chased the investors um, about six, seven months later. And you want to talk about resilience, man, getting investors is tough, um, trying to pitch. And um, we actually went through to um, Recruitment Entrepreneur which is James Kahn's uh, investment company. So uh, that was like real nerve wracking, like having to sit in front of all of his board of directors and pitch our idea. Um, and we got through right to the last round with the last company and then they said no, we were too young and inexperienced. Oh really? Um, yeah, so uh, that was it. But and again, another crazy, um, you know, incredible experience as well. Um, so from doing that, we, we eventually got um, an investment round, um, which was a significant amount of money. And we just made so many mistakes. We were just so unprepared. And we didn't realize until probably 18 months into it that we were in really deep. We were like, man, like we need to figure so much out. But 
during that time, about a year in, I kind of realized, and, and all three of us did, that we needed to like, you know, learn this stuff and we couldn't just do it off our own back because we we're all very kind of, you know, oh yeah, this is what we should do, we should do this. And we, we'd all agree and the three of us would have our own little, like, yeah, yeah. And we'd all get rah-rah and, and excited about it. Um, but we met, there was no real strategy or direction. We always had a clear idea between us three, but the wider world, you know, probably had no clue what we were trying <laughs> to achieve. Um, so it, it was actually, we got to a point in, I think it was November in 2015, and um, we were like, we need to do something. We need to like start learning this stuff. How can we like put a strategy together for a business, marketing, like how can we get leads and all this other stuff. So we were invited, um, fortunately enough, to Web Summit in Dublin. So um, so got to meet like Paddy Cosgrave, who runs it, um, and some really inspiring entrepreneurs. And ended up meeting one of the co-founders of Instagram. And it like completely changed like my paradigm of how I thought and like that mindset shift I didn't even realize was like necessary at the time because I was like, yeah, what I'm doing is perfect. But really, I had no idea and I needed to kind of open myself out to all these new experiences and ways of learning and kind of really developing myself personally as well as professionally. And then from that experience, like I was there for the whole week. So the summit only ran for four days. We were like, we'll stay there, we'll network. And we came back and we were just charged with this whole new energy. And then from there, I started getting into like personal development books. Like I read every single book on business, um, like mindset from like Think and Grow Rich to like Secrets to the Millionaire Mind, every Tony Robbins book, like just went so crazy on Amazon. Um, and then from there, yeah, it just completely changed my way of thinking and then kind of birthed this new like entrepreneur or whatever. But I had to learn a hell of a lot through mistakes and you know silly decisions but i'm happy that i made them all because they've made me who i am today so uh, yeah pr pretty crazy couple of years doing that and you were doing it for a couple of years yeah so um so, I, so I, you, I, were, you know moderately successful you've gone through a decent funding round. yeah so what was the what was the actual problem you were trying to so, solve so the yes. problem we were trying to solve was that um loads of people in our university were struggling to get work experience so the conventional route was, oh, you try and get a week's placement or you know some kind of internship during the summer, but everything was unpaid. And all the experiences we were looking at, they wanted you to do something for nothing. And we just didn't really agree with that. We were like, you know, we've got some really great skills that we can offer companies. How can we put ourselves in front of them without them trying to, you know, we, we termed it as slave labor sometimes with our really hardcore marketing campaigns. Um, so we were like, what about if we freelance? So what about if we just kind of, become our own um, solo kind of freelancers or whatever. Um, and then a friend, a friend of mine, Ben, started doing it, who's one of my business partners, um, had some really great success. Um, and then from that, he was like, okay, you know, why isn't everyone doing this? How, how can we make this like a thing for all students where they all can get paid and they can kind of get some experience at the same time? And that's where it really came from. We wanted people to have really good work experience opportunities, but still getting paid at the same time, not, not doing stuff for free. Um, so it was a win-win on both sides that companies could get, you know, cheaper workers that they could still pay a decent amount, but not as much for, a, you know, an established consultancy or for whatever it was. And then the students getting, you know, unrivaled experience like in the heart of a business, um, which for us was massive. So once we kind of saw that, saw that as a great opportunity to really help people. I mean, for me, it sounds like uh, what I guess the future of work and all those kind of things mm -hmm. we talk about so often it's kind of all about right yeah and you know the kind of the gig economy giving people particularly young people kind of that support and the experience and all those kind of things mm -hmm. that you talk about so I'm really interested in knowing kind of where it broke down I guess not mm -hmm. necessarily where the business 
failed because it can mm -hmm. fail for a whole load of reasons. But do you think that, because that's also a two-sided marketplace essentially mm -hmm. that you, you kind of created. You've got to have the demand or the supply of mm -hmm. young people that want to do this, but you've also yeah. got to have companies that want to take people on in that mm -hmm. way as well. Was there, did you find that there was a difficulty in kind of selling to the, both of those two groups of people? Yeah, so that was probably our biggest challenge. Um, and we found out quite late on when we kind of were beginning to wind down the business that to create an effective marketplace that you need to have the supply of students, like you need to have a load of people that are willing to do the work and then you can reach out to the business. But we started the opposite way. We were like, oh, everyone, we've got, you know, we've got a talent pipeline. There's loads of people that can do this stuff for you. Because we thought everyone was going to do it. We thought everyone would jump on. Um, and it didn't happen. So we had to like really dig our heels in and kind of work out this whole marketing thing and Google AdWords, social media stuff. Um, and then we did, we did get to a point where we had about eight and a half thousand students that were on it. So we got really great results. Um, had about just under three, four hundred employers that were actively posting. So it was, doing, it was doing really great work. And I think it got to a point where we, in order for us to scale kind of sustainably, we needed a lot more capital. And we got to a point where we'd made so many bad decisions and spent money in the wrong places where we were like trying to build like the most sophisticated website and doing all these really complex things when really we just needed to double down on, you know, getting the actual product market fit right with the marketing and the messaging. But we didn't do that. We were like, if we have the right platform, people will come. Um, where really we should have focused on, you know, the offering, what we we're trying to do um, and the awareness around that side and then worry about, you know, the com the complexities of our website and, and everything we were trying to build. I mean, it's a common story, right? That people kind of fall in love with that product and yeah. kind of trying to build that, that perfect, beautiful UX, the perfect platform, mm -hmm. seamless, all those kind of things. And perhaps at times forgetting what it's all about, perhaps yeah. forgetting what the, you know, the, the key message and the problem is that you're really trying to solve. Completely. And actually, I think another thing that you, you sort of mentioned there, I think, as well, was that you had this problem yourselves, mm -hmm. which is... Like, let's be honest, a lot of people talk about solve a problem that you've got yourself, mm -hmm. and hopefully, you know, the theory goes, it's probably gonna be a whole load of other people that have got that same problem as mm -hmm. well. What I kind of, it might, I'm, I'm, I might have heard this slightly wrong, or maybe you're making assumptions, but it sounded like it took a while to get that 8,000 odd mm -hmm. people, perhaps because they didn't have the mindset of where you mm -hmm. were at, didn't understand the, actually that that kind of work experience is so valuable mm -hmm. um, beyond and it goes way beyond like the just normal university degree right people are wanting people that have got far more experience than just a degree yeah so it's kind of interesting that you seem to have a problem but it's hard to scale that to a whole yeah, load of people definitely definitely yeah. we we, uh, we did like university tours around the country and kind of you know hired a car just went all over the place like getting people manually with like an ipad um, so it was really hard work like but when we were able to speak to people on a one-to-one -one basis, it was fine. We could kind of say, hey, look, this is what we're trying to do. What do you think about this? And then they, they'd come back and say, hey, this is great. You know, if there was a platform where I could get some work experience, it's brilliant. But it needed to be spoon-fed, and, and we couldn't do that. Um, and we didn't have the right strategy to do that effectively online, because that's where we could have really scaled. Because there was only three of us at the end of the day. Have you got any new companies that have come and like taken that space? So, um, so it's actually so this whole experience now. Um, Grand Lance is just about to be taken over by a recruitment company, which is literally down the road. Um, so we're still keeping a, a minority stake, but they're basically looking at turning it into more of an open, an open source platform for. Um, overall work experience so it's not just freelance it will kind of be something a bit greater mm. um, 
haven't really discussed fully about where it's going to go forward. But since we launched, there's probably been about five or six companies that have done something very, very similar. Um, definitely in the first year when we launched, we had people that were literally like skinning our website and trying to do something similar. But luckily with our investors, we had some really solid developers um, who were building like a really, really great platform. Um, so we're really fortunate, but they, they started popping up and there wasn't much happening with them, but we'd always kind of get emails say, oh, we want to you know, buy your domain or whatever. And, and, but they kind of come and went. But uh, we had, at one point we were talking with uh, freelancer.com, which was like huge for us. Um, people per hour as well, who were like really interested in kind of the angle where we were going with it. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where you always look back and, you know, hindsight's such a great thing. You're like, oh, I should have done this. I should have made this decision. I shouldn't have spent all that money on a PR company that I probably didn't need. I, I know I didn't need, um, but you know, that you're naming Virgin startups or whatever is awesome. So you're like, yeah, let's do that again. And, you know, just a, a lot of very kind of immature mistakes. And I think that's, that's the same with probably every entrepreneur with the kind of like their first business, they go out there and kind of go guns blazing and they're like, yeah, 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 let's do it. But I've learned now that I need to have something really solid before I try and, you know, do everything. Cause I, I get really carried away. So I'm like, oh, we can do this, we can do this. And instead of focusing on like one thing and then doing it really well, and then moving forward to really solve like a, a good problem and, and make sure you do. Cool, awesome. Uh, Nick, have you got uh, anything yeah. similar? Yeah, <laughs> not, 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 not similar, but not, not quite as exciting as that. It could be that. completely opposite. No, totally. <laughs> not, quite, not quite as exciting as that. But um, So when I went through the similar phases as Anthony, I was really interested in personal development. So I was going to a lot of seminars, a lot of masterclasses, and um, I was learning such amazing stuff and meeting really cool kind of uh, similar people um, that were interested in the same kind of stuff that I was. Um, and even though I loved the sessions and everything that I was learning, I found that some of the best conversations happened during the breaks and the lunch times. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Because this is like, in some cases, quite expensive courses. And you're like, this free bit, this is almost like the best bit, yeah? Um, and with some of those people that I was speaking to, they were totally agreeing as well. And we were like, how can we create a space where we take the amazing kind of vibe and kind of feel and conversations that we're getting from these sessions um, and just make that the whole thing. So the problem was fine, like that we were trying to solve was um, getting, well, like how do you get to people together in a safe environment to just kind of talk about stuff they wouldn't normally talk about, how they can kind of detach themselves from their like normal life and kind of come up with ideas for how they can kind of improve and where they want to go um, and do it with like-minded people. So what we did is we came up with a concept for a personal development networking company where we would create events that um, people could come together and talk about things they don't normally talk about and do exercises that could help them. Um, so we did it, we started it and it was really, really good. I, I started with someone that I met on one of those um, events and um, there was a lot of hunger and appetite for it. it, and, it and it was, you know, the start was amazing. But the problem was not the problem. I found that um, the person that I started it with changed very much, very quickly. So I found that it was just really difficult to work with that, with work with them. Um, and so the problem wasn't the problem; it was the people that you work with to to to, to kind of solve it. So after that, like not long after, there was an opportunity to work for a different company. So I, I didn't continue with it. But the company actually itself is still going okay. and still running. Um, and I think he's with doing the old, your, yeah, your, your yeah, just with the co-founder, co yeah. yeah okay. um, 
so I'm, I'm really pleased that it's still going but I just I saw opportunities for it to expand in different ways I don't think we agreed so uh, it's interesting to, to hear what Anthony thinks about you know how do you get on with people and how do you keep, maintain those relationships mm-hmm. um, for the long term and, and still you know keep strong with it and, and, and not piss each other off and stuff yeah I think I think probably my, my interpretation of it would be if you have the same vision and the same passion towards you know what you're trying to achieve then it's fine you're, you, you know it's inevitable that you're going to have squabbles or you know disagreements and things but if you're on the same trajectory of where you want to go like with you know you, in your personal lives and in, in, in your business as well then I think it's it's manageable but mm. you know if you're if you're singing off two hymn sheets you know that that relationship is going to be really tough yeah um, I, I was really fortunate with with my startup that all three of us were friends beforehand and we all got on really well and we were pretty open and honest but I think it, it really does come down to kind of sharing that same vision and if you're on that same path you sh- it's normally okay um, but at the other end of the spectrum you know if it is bad and it's not a great relationship sometimes you just got to cut your losses mm. and kind of go out on your own and, and, and make something happen for yourself because um, you know you can't always rely on that other person to mm. be doing exactly what you need them to or want them to do um, would be my take on it mm. it's a really interesting thing though isn't it because I think, I think you're totally right like I, when I think of all the conferences and all of the workshops and courses and those kind of things that we've been on and actually the conversations that we've had, the best conversations that we, we've had right have been not in meetings, not in courses, not any mm-hmm. of that formal side of things. It's Definitely. like when you kind of catch each other, when you have a surprise meeting, when you bump mm-hmm. into each other, when you're in the pub, all those, those kind of things. And you kind of sp- sparks something fresh and new and exciting. And so it's definitely, mm-hmm. if you can capture that in some way, I guess, the, I guess the thing that was going through my head is that you almost need to have, particularly with people that you don't know, you need to have that stimulus, that catalyst to kind of engage and start to open up the mind um, so that's kind of I think it's a really interesting idea and it'd be amazing if you could solve that in a way that you didn't necessarily need to do the boring course mm-hmm. or whatever um, <laughs> you could just kind of capture that kind of enthusiasm and excitement it would be a fascinating thing right? absolutely absolutely and that's, that's what inspired me to, to get it going and I could see so many different ways that you could do it as well um, yeah just so much like, op- options because it doesn't have to be face to face as well it could be online as well you can get people talking on Skype stuff like that um, like getting people checking in on each other a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of WhatsApp messaging and saying like, you know, what's going on with that thing that you said you were going to do. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> uh, see where that's going. <laughs> should, I, should I talk about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so this is of course the first podcast and the main reason that we're doing this right now rather than in like a couple of weeks time or a couple of months time is that uh, Nick and I had a conversation and well it started over on WhatsApp and, uh, and then kind of migrated quite quickly onto the phone and um, you know I was saying to Nick that I was going to we're going to do some podcasts and kind of interview some people and, uh, and Nick was like well what's stopping you why don't you just do it just just do it like now like just start recording and start to do so and I was like no I'll do it a couple of weeks time when I'm a bit less busy I've got kind of a lot of things going on and he said well um, how much money would hurt you if you lost it if you you know if you've got you know if it's got taken away from you so like, I don't know a couple hundred quid maybe something like that so I monzoed over to Nick some money there and then on that day and uh, and we've got a deadline of tomorrow to get this pod done and a couple of blogs as well alongside so it does definitely give you some um, some incentive some drive to go and get mm. some stuff done <laughs> so it's, thank you for that you know, it's really <laughs> how this all worked out because obviously right. I didn't know if you guys had this conversation but then. I ran into Nick yeah. um, in South London and then like came up behind me while I was getting money out of the bank and then was like we, we were having a discussion you know about some other things as well and then like how all of these like 
you know, unconnected events at the time and then bring bring people together is quite cool. Yeah, absolutely. It was like so weird yeah. to have the chat with Spencer earlier in the day mm-hmm. and then to never see anyone hanging around where I live mm-hmm. um, and then see them at the bank and then to be able to like, you know, <laughs> yeah. catch up with them, scare them a little bit and then to have a conversation that was also really interesting. Yeah. I was like, this has got, this is like fate. It's got to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. So here's one of the things. So one of the things I've been, I've been reading a lot about kind of problem, problem finding, you know, mm-hmm. because, because the whole, the whole kind of theme of the, this podcast and hopefully a theme that might kind of run on for a number of podcasts and a couple of blogs that we're writing is that it's this idea of like identifying problems, like the best problem to solve. A lot of people can see problems, a lot of people can see huge problems, poverty and well peace and all mm-hmm. these kind of things, great problems that a lot of people talk about. But actually it's, some, it's sometimes identifying some of those problems around you that, um, that you might otherwise not notice mm-hmm. can actually be, can generate some interesting ideas and interesting uh, way, solution, new, new solutions and new business ideas. And actually, we've also talked about mindset quite a bit. And we do, we do talk about mindset quite a lot and, and the importance of mindset. And in order to kind of see some of those problems around us, we kind of need to have that right mo- mindset. There's a really good quote for, actually Paul Graham from Y Combinator had um, wrote a really good essay about, in about 2012 all about kind of how to find startup ideas and, and the, the best startup ideas. And he talks about observations and noticing problems in order to solve those problems in the best way. And his quote is, coming up with startup ideas is a question of seeing the obvious. That suggests, uh, yeah, that suggests how weird this process is. You're trying to see things that are obvious and yet no one had noticed it. You hadn't noticed it yet. So it's, mm-hmm. kind, of in, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Because yeah. there are so many problems around us all the time, but often we just kind of walk around and don't see them and no one capitalizes mm-hmm. on them. And you kind of think of some of those ideas out there like Airbnb or whatever, never been done, but actually huge, right? And just because a couple of guys had a problem wanting to um, stay uh, during the, the conferences and kind of just literally got an airbed and where you go. And that's the kind of the, the gem of a problem that mm-hmm. once you kind of explore that a bit further kind of can really be quite, quite huge. So I'm really interested in how we can foster that mindset and mm-hmm. getting the mindset of openness, of being able to be, of noticing some of those problems, some of those problems that when you look back, you go, shit, that's so obvious, but why has nobody <laughs> done that kind of thing before? What think, can we do in order to do I that? I think the number one skill you need is creativity. Um, creativity to be able to come up with solutions that no one's come up with before and also the creativity to see little uh, opportunities that other people don't see Um, and I think there are loads of um, it's absolutely a skill I say it all the time creativity is like a muscle and that you can build it Absolutely stolen that from James Altucher. You do say that a lot. <laughs> <I time>. do. <laughs> I'm glad we've got the, uh, the proper yeah. reference there as yeah. well. Yeah. Documented. Yeah. I'm a massive fan of his How to Become an Idea Machine. I think that article is amazing. In fact, today I um, had a couple of people come in for work experience. Um, and I spent a lot of time talking to them about creativity and getting them to read that article. Also got them to um, look at Edward de Bono's Six Thinking Hats. Great way to look at creativity coming up with solutions and, and finding them in different ways. Um, and then also about that, that um, uh, on creativity by um, John Cleese. That's a fantastic uh, presentation um, about, about how he does it and you know, to be coming up with such great jokes, um, his process for doing it and what he thinks are the key things. Because um, it's absolutely something you can practice. Um, so we were talking about it today and, and, and they thought it was really, really useful, the stuff that we covered. 
Uh, we can talk about that all day. Yeah, I mean, actually, that's a really interesting thing. Comedians have that ability often to spot things that you would otherwise not spot mm-hmm. and bring it to light in a way that you would never kind of... Most people just don't have that capacity to be able mm-hmm. to do that. So mm-hmm. I totally agree with that kind of John Cleese reference. Some of the best comedians that I kind of listen to and watch every now and again uh, just kind of tell you things that you know but you never kind of thought it in that mm. thought of it in that way and it kind of yeah. sparks that light bulb moment right mm. so yeah. it's, it's exactly like the the quote that you you just mentioned there like you know it's right in front of you the whole time and you're just like oh and then when someone shows it to you and like oh have you ever thought about this like no but why haven't I and it's really frustrating you know and I think to follow on from what you said there about like creativity and I think the second step after that is to then find whatever it is that you're, the problem that you're trying to solve, but then getting feedback on it, putting it out to the world. So that's something that I wish I learned like really early on. Like it's with any idea that you come up with or some great company that you want to start. I think getting that initial feedback and asking people to like really poke holes in it is the best way to really solve a problem because you can't solve it on your own. You, you might think, you know, you have the absolute solution to you know, global warming, whatever, but if it's untried and untested, you know, it's it's really hard to actually truly solve that. You might solve it personally for yourself because you have the right mindset for it. You believe wholeheartedly and you're so like, you know, invested in it, but unless it serves like the masses and a, and a really solid audience, it's really hard to truly solve that. So I think definitely having the creativity, but then following up with that is putting that out to the world to get some feedback is really important. Yes. Hugely important. I guess the difficulty is getting the timing right and what mm-hmm. level of detail you want to go into to get the, the kind of the best feedback. Because mm-hmm. sometimes if you give kind of an early prototype or kind of thing, people can get distracted by the kind of low fidelity or it doesn't do this, and they can kind of give you some feedback that isn't necessarily helpful in the mm-hmm. problem part of it. I guess so. It's. Yeah. I, I think that's where kind of things like jobs to be done framework can be so so useful because you. That's all about going back to the root cause, isn't it? It's all about what the problem is that you're trying to solve, mm-hmm. rather than look at this shiny kind of product. I guess yeah. so. It's that timing of the questions that you want to you want to get, mm-hmm. and I think continuing to to ask your potential users and audience and, and customers what what their thoughts are. Yeah. But equally, kind of the thing that's flashing through my head at the moment is is the famous. Henry Ford quote that might not have been a Henry Ford quote that um, is, you know, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, not a motor mm-hmm. car, right? So yeah. he probably didn't say that, but like you kind of get what I'm, what yeah. I'm going to here. So asking them the right questions at the right time, and I think that's where mm-hmm. job to be done interviews can be really useful in kind of going back through people's stories. So if you talk about why someone bought something, there's often a reason why they bought it, but actually why did they go to the shop in the first place, let alone want to buy that thing? Mm-hmm. You kind of have to go really far back in that story about those, you know, the need, what's the real burning need that mm-hmm. someone has? Yeah, so what are your th- thoughts on that? Or? So John Cleese, he talks about, because um, well, some people are able to come up with really great ideas and spot really great opportunities and come up with really creative like solutions or ideas or funny jokes, whereas other people that might be more talented might not come up with such great um, ideas. Um, and he talks about this concept of creative discomfort. So this is where he'd be uh, with his colleagues um, when he was coming up, you know, writing scripts. Um, and they were trying to, you know, write a great line or something. Um, and his colleague, who was perhaps more skilled than him, would, as soon as it hit five o'clock, just come up with a quick solution and then go home and not worry about it. Whereas what John Cleese would do would um, be really sit with that problem um, of trying to find a great thing to say, something really, really funny, and think about it and stew on it all night, constantly thinking of lots of different 
lots of different opportunities, different ways to kind of find something that's really funny or great. Um, and by doing that, he would almost always come up with something better than his colleague, even though his colleague was potentially more um, skillful at it. Um, and that, that's what he called creative discomfort. And I think people that have got those problems, that spend longer thinking about them and really sit in that phase, that discomfort phase where you, where you don't just jump to the first solution, mm -hmm. you're constantly looking for new ones, those are the people that are going to be the ones that um, you know, like make it, basically. Mm -hmm. And that could be painful. Like I, I get why that, that's called cool, that because it can be a really painful process, right? You kind of go, you know, I, the, the amount of times that I've been doing workshops, for example, kind of thought of a problem and then jumped into solutionizing that dreadful word that we sometimes <laughs> use in the corporate world. Um, but you kind of you come up with a solution straight away, and it's like that might. It's a good chance that that's not the best thing, but you. It's very hard then not to fall in love with that mm -hmm. solution. Mm -hmm. right? I think it's human nature. It's human nature, yeah. right? So how do you combat those urges is kind of an interesting thing as well. That urge to kind of just get down and build something if you've got, you know, some wireframing tools in the digital world or if you can build a prototype of something or if you can do an ad hoc podcast like this. But how do you <laughs> kind of... Is it important to fester on it? Is it better, do you think, to try something and let that fail quickly? Is it better? All those kind of different approaches and they equally work. Yeah, there's a number of approaches. Like, I think we were talking about this the other day when I was talking about ready, fire, aim. Mm -hmm. So something that I learned kind of halfway through um, doing my startup is that you kind of prepare as best as you can for whatever it is you're trying to solve, right? So you come up with a strategy and it can be really early on. So if you just have a basic outline about of what you're trying to achieve, that's great. You've got, you've got something tangible that you can use. And then you fire, so you actually kind of put it out to the world, so to get feedback, whatever it might be. Um, so if, if you think about it in a marketing case, if you're, if you're launching a new campaign, you can put out one type of ad creative, see what the results are, and then you can take that back and you put something out there and you can get, you get some data back so you can really kind of inform your decision. And then afterwards, once you've done that, you can kind of let your actions dictate what your next step is. So that's the aim side. So if you need to optimize what you're doing and kind of pivot or re-strategize what you're doing, um, you can then move on from there. And I think that process is really helpful. Um, I know with me, um, with kind of a lot of my social media stuff, I find that that process is like the best way to find a really kind of great, well-converting campaign. Um, because you don't know, you're not always gonna have the answer straight out of the bat. And I think you need to follow that process again and again. Um, very similar to kind of, you know, the, the lean startup methodology. Yeah. Like you need to just keep going around this loop to improve and improve. And you're, you're never gonna get to kind of perfect complete product market fit i don't think that that exists you know there's always going to be an iteration that's going to be better and better and better and you know we see it with the iphone every year every year oh how can this get better and then they bring out you know holograms on the screen or whatever um so i, I think it's that constant process of just like you know iteration after iterations keep improving um and then going from there it is, is my take on that yeah i i think that's really good as well i think the interesting thing about product market fit of course is that is exactly what it says. It's about the product, but it's about the market as well. And it's like that beautiful mm -hmm. synergy of where those two things go inside. And, and what that means is you've got to have the timing right. You've got to have mm -hmm. the, the right market, the right marketing, the right way to message and get to them, but also the product that really solves those problems yeah. and, those, and the solution that really solves that problem those people really have. And I think, you know, I, I love those kind of ideas of, you know, building something delightful, building something that people literally cannot live without. Mm -hmm. And that is the route to success. And I think that's kind of where this idea of the problems being the most important thing is for me. But I, again, that kind of flips. I, I said something earlier around when we were talking about your business and about um, 
uh, kind of 8,000 people focusing on the products rather than the people. Mm -hmm. Like there's a kind of a dichotomy or a mm -hmm. potential dichotomy with that as well. Um, and I wonder sometimes whether actually you should make, you know, that build a product that few people absolutely love rather than a load of people kind of like. Yeah. Once you get to a few people that love it, then they're more likely to talk mm -hmm. about it, more likely to be open and those kind of things. Have you had any experience or seen any of those kind of things as well? Or So I couldn't say from a, from a company standpoint, but um, it, it reminds me of, um, I can't remember who the entrepreneur is called, but um, there's an entrepreneur out there, um, I, forget, I forget their name, but he talks about having your one true fan. So at the very start of whatever you're trying to achieve, if you have that one person that can champion you know, what you're trying to do, it then, gives kind of that social proof for the next two or three people to then join and then all of a sudden you're creating a mass movement of people. And um, there's a really, really good video actually, um, which I'll share with you after if you're gonna put this in your blog, which Absolutely. is basically um, how to create a movement. And it's basically a video of a guy dancing at a festival and he's just like on his own going crazy. And then it talks about like leadership and there has to be someone that's willing to go out there and you know put their neck on the line. And then the second person comes and dances with them. And then that allows other people to then Come in and I think the same happens with business as well and you know if you if you have a problem problem you're trying to solve with your product um, it's getting that first person to just really champion what you're doing and then building from there because you're never going to be able to really unless you're a huge you know global company that, that can just throw millions upon millions of getting a product out there to to not really getting a market fit but they have the money to get you know saturation of what they're doing but as a startup or anyone that's kind of in getting into this space um, it's, you have to start with that one because you, you're nothing without that first customer or first person that likes your social media pages or first person that reaches out for you for advice or whatever, you know, at that point, then you can grow. And it grows organically then as well, right? Yeah, as opposed sure. to it being forced. And Definitely. We see a load of stuff about growth hacking and kind of going for big audiences, getting users. It's all about user retention, particularly when you're going through funding rounds and that kind of thing as well. Mm -hmm. So important for those user acquisitions yeah. and kind of... But then if you haven't got those few, mm -hmm. you're not allowing that organic growth to yeah. really start to emerge. You're not then refining the product based on those fans that you've got and those people that are going to give you critical feedback. Definitely. And you're not allowing yourself to grow in an organic and kind of natural way and I think actually like the uh, the Paul Graham article talks about organic in a different way as well so organic side of idea generation again in a way you can force yourself to have ideas you mm -hmm. can kind of have made up kind of ideas or made up problems it's fairly easy for us to kind of sit around and come up with a whole load I'm sure we could go we do 20, 10 and then we do another 10 right absolutely always do 10 absolutely it's more James Altucher yeah we'll share that uh, um, article as well we'll share that absolutely we'll put that in the uh, in the show notes no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess uh, what we're going to do I'm going to we're going to pause just for a minute now mm. um, we're going to have a quick uh, quick break and then we'll come back with some challenging questions that you won't awesome. have seen Perfect. awesome Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share, like, or subscribe. It's amazing how much of a boost that gives you, especially when you're doing something new. This is an experiment, so I'd love to hear your feedback. You can get me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and most other social channels by searching Spencer Ayres. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-A-Y-R-E-S. Uh, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you next time.